family. It's good to see everyone. It's a pleasure for me to be here this morning. I'm hoping to uh, be able to share God's word with you and have you be encouraged. You're going to see what uh, we're talking about. Uh, The message is titled this morning, Seize the Opportunity. Seize the Opportunity. And what's going on is, you know, usually I'm in the Spanish group and um, for the last couple of years with a couple of uh, breaks in between, we've been reading through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And it's, it's one of my favorites, not just because it's really short. That's what, I, that's what you're thinking. It's only four chapters, but that's not the reason. It's a very practical letter. It's a letter that Paul writes uh, from prison. It's a, le- it's a very personal letter. It's a very practical letter, uh, a call to unity, uh, a call to rejoice, even amongst his, his difficult situation. I believe the last two, three times that I've been here, I've spoken on uh, or from the, the epistle of the Philippians. So, so this morning, seizing the opportunity is based out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. Just a little phrase that, that, uh, that is mentioned there about the church in Philippi. And I want to expand on that, and I want to share with you uh, three points, which are going to be, we're going to talk about opportunities, we're going to talk about obedience, and we're going to talk about obstacles to that. And, and all with an effort of, encouraging us to continue doing the Lord's work. I am pleased, I'm encouraged to see what God has been doing through this congregation that we could say is fairly small, but really a lot of things are going on. Uh, You know, just today, if you've never been here before, you've already mentioned, uh, it's been mentioned that we're doing some work in in India. And I think that's great. I think that's great. So in case uh, I lose you somewhere down the road, let me tell you the main point of this morning's message, and that is, as Christians, uh, we, should be, uh, we should seize every opportunity to do good work in Jesus' name for the glory of God. So I'm not talking about seizing opportunities for furthering your career or seizing opportunities to better yourself necessarily. What I'm talking about are opportunities that are God-given and put there by God for you, things that only you can really accomplish because of who you are and where God has placed you in for his honor and for his glory. And beloved... If we're not living for that, we're missing the boat. If we're not living for God's glory, you then chances are you're probably living for your own glory. You're concerned with your own well-being. And that's not what we are told to do as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, who gave us the ultimate example of what it is to leave everything for somebody else, for you and for me. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And um, so I'm not sure if Bruce told you, but he's going to be out, uh, you know, taking some time off. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I want to just spend a little bit of time here talking about a little bit of the background, what's going on here. But listen to what Paul tells this church in Philippi. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, 
but you lacked opportunity. Not that, I have, not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let me talk to you about what Paul is talking about. He says, hey, Church of Philippi, and he takes a great deal of time and effort to, to address the, the fact that the church in Philippi helped Paul. How did he help him? Basically, if you read the Holy Epistle, you learn that the church in Philippi, though they weren't rich, they were willing to send Paul an offering via our brother Epaphroditus. He, they sent Paul an offering out of their great need. And they did it constantly or consistently several times, but they hadn't done it in a while. So when, uh, when they get this gift from Philippi, Paul says, hey, by the way, I thank you, and I'm so glad that, that your, your, it says your care for me has flourished again, that there's evidence that indeed you guys care for me. And then Paul says, now I know you guys care for me, but you've lacked opportunity. There just hasn't been a chance or an opportunity for you to, sh- to, to show how much you cared. And when they send him this, this monetary gift, he was able to say, hey, you know, that's great. Church of Philippi hasn't forgotten about me, and, and he's writing back to them in part to thank them for the gift. So uh, they cared, but they lacked opportunity. But when the opportunity came, they seized the opportunity. And by seizing the opportunity, they took advantage of the opportunity. There was a chance for them to bless Paul. And in doing that, what I would like for us to, to really consider is that no matter what you do, if it's for the Lord, in the name of the Lord, there is going to be something great done with that gift. And, and I want to say that from the start because a lot of us are involved in different ministries within the church or at home or at work. And you're doing certain things for the Lord. You need to know that no matter what you're doing, that is going to be a blessing to someone. And you'll get your reward here or later, but there will be a reward for that. And we have to believe that by faith. Because I'm thinking this church in Philippi didn't have to give them money, but they chose to. They didn't have a whole lot, but whatever they did, it says that they gave out of their their need. It was a sacrificial gift. And I'm thinking, what did this money accomplish? Well, I don't know about you, but part of the reason why we're sitting here reading these letters is because somebody helped Paul. Now, Paul worked with his hands. He was a tent maker. But he also received gifts from many churches that allowed for the work to continue. And part of that work that he did was writing letters that eventually became part of the Bible that you and I read. And maybe some of us became Christians hearing the gospel or learning the gospel through the letters that Paul wrote. What I'm saying is that the the gift that the church in Philippi gave, I don't know how much it was, but whatever it was, God used greatly for his kingdom. And you have to believe by faith that no matter what you do, God will use that to further his kingdom, to glorify himself, And in doing that, you will be blessed, and so will other people. I'd like for you to consider, what is it that you do in the Lord's name? And sometimes, I would say very often, or rarely do we get the results maybe that we're thinking we'll get. You know, if I invest my time in in children's ministry, you know, all these kids will eventually become pastors. Perhaps, I'm not sure nobody thinks that, but, you know. uh, Or if we help this home, it's all going to be fine and dandy. And usually it doesn't work out that way. But you have to be consistent and faithful and, and, and trust God that he's the one doing the work. And he'll allow us to be involved in some of the work 
And, and he's going to take care of whatever you do for his honor and his glory. You need to believe that. It doesn't matter how old you are. I've told you a story by uh, Pastor Delgado, right? Invited to church by a six-year-old, as a six-year-old. And all the kids say, hey, you want to go to church with us? Go to Sunday school? Sunday? Sunday school? I go to, church, I go to school Monday through Friday. Why would I go to Sunday school? What do you do there at Sunday school? We learn about the Lord, about the Savior. And his name was Salvador. He's like, Savior, Salvador. Yeah, I'll go. And I was blessed because of that six-year-old child that invited his six-year-old friend. Beloved, no matter what you do for the Lord, there's a blessing in that. And you need to know that because if not, you'll get discouraged. Or you'll be doing whatever you do with a bad attitude. God doesn't want that. So I'm excited to share this with you. You guys look all excited as well. Awesome. All right. We're all ex- now that we're all excited, just know God is, you have to believe that God is doing great work. And he allows us to be part of that. And that's amazing. I find that completely amazing that he would allow me, not because of who I am, but despite of who I am, that he would allow me to be uh, a fellow worker in his kingdom. And that's what Crosspoint needs to be about. It can't be about what am I, you know, what's, what's the church going to do for me? It's what are you going to do for God's kingdom? And hopefully you come here to be encouraged, to be equipped, to do his work. All right. So here we have the Philippians who, out of their great need, give an offering. They send it to Paul. And Paul, when he receives it, is blessed. And he continues his work. But he said, you know, he also says, Paul, he says, uh, you know, thank you for the gift. But you really didn't have to. Because you see, I'm blessed by your gift, but in reality, if you would have sent it, you know, thank God I've learned to, to go hungry and be okay with that. To have a lot and be okay with that. But then he says, but it's a good thing what you did. He goes, nevertheless, you've done well. Maybe sometimes you feel like your work doesn't really, isn't that important. Beloved, it is. It is. And I don't know what your life goal is, but... Man, when I get to heaven, if the Lord would look upon me and say, he doesn't even have to say anything. All he says, it's good enough for me. Good enough for me. But that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. That's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want him to say, hey, but for you, there's a back door. Just go around. Ask for directions and sneak in through the bag. It's all right. Don't worry about it. That's not what I want. I want my life to be meaningful, to mean something. And to me, that means other people were impacted by what I did for the Lord. Not for my glory, but for his. I'm in it for the glory of my God. That has to be our attitude, beloved. That certainly was Paul's attitude. So as Christians, we should seize every opportunity to do good work in Jesus' name for the glory of God. Let's take a look at this this idea. We looked at Philippians chapter 4 and how how the church in Philippi went out of the way to send this gift to them. Um, You you, you need to know that good works are not going to save you. I'm sure we've heard that many a time. There is nothing that you can ever do to please God to the point where he'll say, hey, you know, you did great. I will give you salvation. Nobody earns salvation. But when God saves you by grace through faith, 
He leaves us here for a reason, and that is to do good works. So you're not saved by works, at least not your own. You're saved by his work at the cross. But once he saves you, you're here for a reason. And I hope you've asked yourself this question. You know, it says that everybody in the planet asks themselves eventually sometime this question is, why am I here? But as Christians, I like for us to ask the same question. Why am I here, here, like right now in this place? Why wasn't I born 200 years ago? Why do I live in Whittier? Why do I come to church at Crosspoint? How did I end up here? If you trace your life back, it's amazing. I love hearing people's testimony, how they came to know the Lord and how they ended up at Crosspoint. I've told you about my dad. Just recently arrived from Mexico, ends up at a company, and the manager gets him hired. Why? This man, Ruben Garcia, so that he could share the gospel with my dad. And my dad receives the gospel, is born again, becomes a Christian, and I get to grow up in a Christian home. That was a good work this man did. Maybe he could have gotten fired for doing that. It wasn't his job to preach the gospel. Maybe he did it during the break. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. All I know is I was blessed by that man's obedience to the Lord to share the gospel. And everybody's story should here should be similar. Maybe you grew up at church, but somebody spoke to your parents. Maybe you're here for the first time because some, a co-worker or a friend was courageous enough to say, hey, you want to go to church? Or, you know, you need Jesus. Let's go to church. I don't know what they said. I don't know how, I don't know how they did it to get you here. But I hope you understand we all need the Lord. And whoever invited you, whoever went out knocking on your door, whoever went out of the way and, and, and was willing to risk the relationship perhaps, you should be thankful for those people. But now in turn, you could be that person for somebody else. I don't know. I, think, I just think it's amazing. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'm sure you're all familiar with this, right? It's also Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, by grace you have been saved, done deal, through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then verse 10 says, for you are created in Christ Jesus, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, and then listen to this, that he has prepared beforehand, that you should walk in. God has literally prepared work that only you can do, and he's got it ready for you, and he's put it in front of you, that's why he has you here, wherever you are, that you should walk in those good works in order that he will be glorified and his kingdom would grow and people will come to know the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what if you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, that sounds good, but I don't see any work. I don't, know what God, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm confused by the whole thing. I'm not sure. I don't even, I don't even know if I'm in the right place, if, I, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I had a gentleman on Friday, you know, ask for prayer and said, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm kind of like all over the place. I'm not focused. I don't really know what God wants for me. Can you pray for me? I said, sure. But uh, I said, before I pray with you, let me share Proverbs 3, 5 with you, 6 and 7. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I don't know what you're supposed to be doing exactly. To be honest with you, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing exactly. 
Maybe I'm supposed to be in the Spanish group right now, and I'm right here. Oh, no. no I'm not. I don't stress about stuff like that. What am I concerned with? Trusting the Lord with all my heart. And part of that trust means that if I trust him and I commend my ways to him, he will direct my path, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to have my hands in the wheel. You know, our problem is that we want to we do everything. We don't want to let go. We don't want God to direct our path. What if he takes me somewhere I don't want to go? Well, you should be asking yourself, why don't you want to go where God wants to take you? That's the problem. What if he sends me to India? That's why that's I'm not coming on Saturday to sow, because what if, as I'm sowing, he sends me to India? No, no, no. no. Stop being afraid. I speak for all of us. All right. I, I would I would venture to say I don't I don't know that anybody here or, or most of us don't feel like I'm a hundred percent where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing exactly where I'm supposed to do. You know, God showed me every single thing, every minute of my life. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in the center of God's will all the time. I would venture to say that's nobody here. But hopefully, we're a group of people that say, you know what? We don't know. We don't have it all together. Not even close. We're all imperfect. Forgiven by grace, but we want to trust God. We want to trust God. Maybe you're thinking, I've trusted myself all these years, and look at where it's got me. Not very far. I'm a mess. Well, great. Give up and let God take over. Trust the Lord with all your heart. This is a tough one. Lean not on your own understanding. Stop doing everything you do because you think you're right. Lean on him and his understanding. Look at what he wants for your life. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Not just while you're at church. Acknowledge him in everything that you do. And he says, and he will direct your path. You have to worry about what school you have to go to, what major you have to major in, and what, you know, who you got to marry. Oh, what if it's the wrong person? <laughs> you could go crazy thinking that way. Trust the Lord and trust that he will direct your path. He might take you through some storms as he did the apostles, but that's okay. Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where do you want to be? I don't know where you want to be, but I want to be where God is. And that's not always sitting down at church on a Sunday morning on a beautiful day. That's sometimes at the doctor's office. That's sometimes where you've lost your way. God is with you. That's where I want to be. So Ephesians 2.10. Listen, I want to, uh, talking about opportunities. So just know, there are a ton of opportunities for you to do good. Now, you can't go doing good to everyone, every time, for everything. If you do that, you'll wear yourself out. Right? And, and it'll, it'll weigh on you. And it'll take you down if you're not careful. If, you go, if you're going around trying to meet everybody's needs. I don't think that's what God has in mind for you. You need to use your discernment, your God-given discernment, and say, I can't be everything for everyone. Only God can do that. So stop trying to fix everybody else's problems and focus on yourself a little bit. All right? But be careful with that. So understand you can't fix everybody's world, but maybe you could fix the world for one person. You might be thinking, that's a hard word, Mike. I have no idea who to choose or how am I supposed to know? Trust the Lord not working get on your knees 
Start off your day on your knees and ask God, what am I supposed to do today? What do you want me to do today? Who am I supposed to bless? Who am I supposed to help? What good work do you have for me today? Isn't that an awesome way to start the day? What am I supposed to do for you today? How are you going to work through me today? Scary. I was like, no, I don't think I want to pray that. My God's too high of a level. You got to pray that. And then hang on. Then you'll never think that Christianity is boring again. All right. I want to share with you, before I go to the other points, I want to share a story that I think illustrates one of my favorite stories. Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4. Will you go there with me? Story about a woman. I think, what's her name? I don't know. Doesn't even say her name. But this woman illustrates somebody who sees the opportunity to do God's work. And her life was never the same. I will probably get emotional as I speak about this story. And that's all right. Chapter 4, 2 Kings. I want us to consider this woman. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Elijah. But then, after he went to be with the Lord, miraculously, Elisha comes into the picture. Great man of God, prophet, did lots of miracles, did God's work. But we're not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about this woman who seized an opportunity to bless this man of God. So listen to this. 2 Kings 4, verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elijah went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So she goes to this town and there's this woman who was well off. I don't know exactly what notable means in that time for her, but she was well off. She had a home, she had a husband. And, and uh, when she sees Elijah, she just says, hey, she persuaded him to come into her house and have dinner or lunch with her and her, her husband. So she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So this became a customary thing. Anytime Elijah went through that town, he would go to her house and they would have some food. Now, verse 9. So this one day she said to her husband, look now, I know I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. She's very observant, looking for opportunities. Verse 10, Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he will turn in there. I don't know, kind of, I'm looking forward to meeting this woman. So here she is, recognizes somebody who she believes is a man of God, who comes by regularly, offers him food. He persuades him to have dinner or, or some food at her house. And then that becomes uh, a custom that anytime he swings by there, they eat together. And then out of a sudden, she's considering in her heart, how, how, do I, how do I bless this man? What else can I do for him? We have the resources. And then she speaks to her husband. Now, this is a little weird, Right? Here's a woman speaking to her husband. She wants to make a room for another man at her house. 
hey, husband, so what, why don't we make an extra room for this guy? Whenever he comes in town, he could stay here. And let's put a bed and a desk and a lampstand, everything that he needs. You know what's even more weird? The husband says yes. Verse 11, and it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and laid down there. So he comes by expecting to have lunch or dinner. And then all of a sudden, hey, there's a room for you ready with a bed and a desk and a lampstand. So he goes up to his room. He's got his own personal suite with the view. It was on the wall. Verse 12, then he said to Gehazi, his servant. So he always went around with Gehazi was his servant. He tells his servant, call the, the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her. So Elijah would actually speak to her. She, he would speak to his servant. The servant would speak to the woman. And he said, as she's standing there, hey, why don't you tell her? It was a little awkward. Eh? Why don't you tell her, look, you have been a concern for us with all this care. What can I do for you? So here's this man of God who's relaxing in his bed that in, in a room that has been customly built for him and his servant. And as he's just relaxing there, he's thinking like, man, this is good. Nobody else does this for us, Gehazi. He's a special woman. Why don't you call her? And then when she gets her, why don't you ask her, you know, you've been so good to us, so kind. You've gone out of your way to do so many things for us. What do you want? What a question. Here's a man of God telling this woman, ask whatever you want. Tell me what you need, and I'll do it. It wasn't three wishes. It was just one. It was just one. She says, what do you need? Is there anything we can do for you? You know what she says? What would you have said, by the way? A man of God says, what do you want? What's your heart's desire? And she says, Oh, first he says, do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? I got connections, Elisha says. Let me know. Anybody bothering you? You need something? I'll talk to the king. I'll talk to the commander of the army. Whatever you need. She answered, I dwell my own, among my own people, she said. What then is, is to be done for her? And then Gehazi, the servant, answered, actually, she has no son. Where am I? Actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. I don't know why they had to put that in there, but uh, <laughs> Gehazi is an observant individual. He's basically saying, well, it's important because he's saying, you know, her husband is pretty old, maybe past, I don't know how old he was, but he, he points something very obvious out, which is she doesn't have a son, and that's a very big deal. Here's a woman without a son. She has money. She has prestige. She has influence. But she doesn't have a son. And it's not going to happen, Gehazi's saying. Look at her husband. He's like really old. So physically speaking, it's not going to happen, Elijah. He, she needs, if she's going to have a son, it's got to be through, through God's, God's work. So he said, call her. Elijah is eager to bless this woman. Even after she said, no, I don't need anything. He's eager to bless this woman. After she said, I don't need anything, 
call her again. Comes back, the woman comes back. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. What? And she said, listen to this. This kind of gets me right here. She said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Why are you messing with me? Why would you even bring that up? It's not funny. You know what this tells us? She longed for a son. She will give everything for a son. And even when she was asked what he wanted, she didn't even dare consider the idea that this man of God would give her a son. I think it was beyond her imagination. It's something that she desperately would want it, but I think she had given up on that idea. And then out of nowhere, she's standing by the door and says, they tell her, next year around this time, you're going to be embracing a son. What? She even calls Elijah a liar. (laughs) Why are you lying to me like that? That's too much. I, I can't believe that. Why would you even say that? But guess what? Verse 17. She's basically saying that's impossible. But I guess she didn't know what it says in Luke 18, 27. Right? She hadn't read that yet. She hadn't read that yet. What's impossible with man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. So she's like, that's impossible. No way. Why are you lying to me? But verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elijah had told her. We'll end the story there. Real interesting story, but if you keep reading, something happens to the son. I'm not going to tell you what. You've got to read that on your own. All right? And I'm going to ask you next week, too, what happened to the son? You'll be like, what son? You didn't finish reading. That's what happened. But here's my point. Here's my point, beloved. Here's this woman minding her own business. But part of her own business was to keep an eye out. And I don't know how she got wind of Elijah being there. And I don't know how she understood that this was a man of God, but she did. And immediately she saw an opportunity to fellowship with him and persuades him to come and have some food with her family. He accepts. And then that becomes a custom. Every time he swings by, he'll go to her house, have some food. And as they're fellowshipping, and I'm sure he's talking and talking about the awesome things that God has done, and she's thinking, like, wow, that's great. God's power. What can we do for this guy? And then, and then she has this idea. Well, he's always coming around. I don't know where he sleeps, but wouldn't it be awesome to build him a room? And that's a great idea. But what I love about that is that it didn't just stay as an idea. How many times have we had ideas or promptings by God? to do something, and then what do we do? Yeah, that'd be great, but no, not right now. I'm sure that's happened to you. I'm not the only one here confessing my... You know, I've never heard God's audible voice, and I I think I don't want to, (laughs) because anytime anybody heard it, they panicked, and they were afraid and thought they were going to die, so God's word is good. I will hear it one day. Uh, But... 
God speaks to us. He's not silent. And I tell the youth group often, you know, you come to church, I hope you hear from God. Not from me. Not from Bruce or anybody else who's speaking. But when you come to church, you should come expecting to hear from the living God who speaks through his word and in your heart. And when you get a prompting and say, look, that person needs something. You can really bless that person with this. Don't shut your heart to that. Because the more you shut your heart to things like that, I think the less you'll hear his voice. Not that he stops speaking, but you stop listening. And then you're going to wonder, when is God going to do anything special in my life? What do you mean? He's doing special stuff all over the place, all the time. There's nothing wrong with God. It might be your receptor mechanism. You have it on mute. You got to unmute that. Hear God's voice, but don't just hear it. Do something about it. I, I really want to encourage you to consider this week, today. Maybe even as I'm speaking, stuff is coming to your mind and thinking like, you know what, that one time that I, I, I knew I should have done that and I didn't, or I could have done that and I didn't. I'm talking let's seize the opportunity to do good as many times as we can, for as long as we can, to as many people as we can, as often as we can, with everything that we can, for as long as we can. Because one day, our time here is going to be up. In some years, you're not going to be able to do the things you can do now. What are you waiting for? You know, as soon as we start doing that, this, this church is going to explode. I don't mean literally. But when I see people doing stuff, and, and the things that God is doing, I mean, I don't want to point people out, but Joanne and David Duran. What a blessing India has been since I've been here. And it, it was, and you can talk to her, but I don't know what prompted her to celebrate her birthday in India at an orphanage. What is that about? Let's talk about that next time, all right? <laughs> That's a God thing, beloved. She could have gone somewhere else. That's a God thing. And I thank God for the examples that we have here in our church. It's not just this Shunammite woman. It's not just Paul and the Philippian church. It's all of us. It's anything you do for the Lord. Any opportunity that you seize to do God's work in his name will glorify him and will probably bless other people and encourage you and, and, and build your faith. So why not seize the opportunity like this woman did? She never expected to have a child. And yet, because she sees the opportunity, what does she do? She invited somebody in. She had plenty of food, maybe. She just persuaded somebody to come in and have lunch. Can you do that? No, there's not enough steak for everybody here. You know, in our Hispanic uh, culture, there's a saying that says, where one eats, two can eat. Just not as much, but... It ends right there. I added the last part. If you have food for one, you have food for two. And there's that kid with a little couple of fish and a little bit of bread. You know what happened with that guy, right? We're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Because he shared. It wasn't stingy. Let's move on. All right, we're still on our first point here. Beloved, seize the opportunities. The opportunities are all over the place. Let me tell you. Some of the things that aggravate you are probably opportunities that God has in front of you. How about that? 
You know the people that annoy you? Those are God's opportunities for you to work. I don't like that opportunity. I'm looking for another one. Stop looking for another one. Why is God going to give you other opportunities when you don't seize the opportunities put in front of you? We've got to change our attitude. I know I do. I know I do. What does an opportunity from God look like? Read the Bible. It's not going to be somebody saying, hey, God sent me here so you could help me out. That's probably not going to happen. You've got to look for people's needs. You've got to ask God, where do you want me? What am I supposed to be doing? Let's talk about obedience really quick. What? Let me share with you, why should, why should we do God's work? Not just because we should, because God will be glorified, because God has put the work in front of us. You know, in James chapter 2, it says that he who knows to do good and doesn't do it, you know what that is? Sin. So it's not just like, oh, missed opportunity. It's okay, though. It's like that was a sinful action by, not, by you not taking action on that. You committed sin before God. I got to read Titus 2. Titus 2. Verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And this addresses... You know, I was going to talk a little bit about obstacles. Why don't we seize opportunities? And we'll just quickly mention that at the end. But, but this addresses that, verse, starting in verse 11. Sometimes it's just plain our sin, our selfishness, just egocentric, all about me. Who cares about everybody else? You know, Mercy Me, I don't know if you know the band, but Mercy Me has a, a song. It's called In the Blink of an Eye. I think that's the title. And there's a phrase where he says, How can I further your kingdom? If I'm so wrapped up in mine, how can I, God, how can I further your kingdom when I'm so wrapped up in my own kingdom? It's not thy will be done. It's my will be done. That's, it's not how it works. Listen to this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, listen to this, zealous for good works. Is that you? Are you a zealous for good works individual? Hey, what can you tell me about that guy? Oh, dude, he's zealous for good works. When's the last time somebody described you that way? That'd be a little weird, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Like nobody uses zealous to begin with, right? But maybe they could say, you know what? Nicest guy ever. I don't know what the deal is with him. Strange individual. How come? He's always looking for good things to do for other people. He's just the nicest person. He finds out you have a need, tries to help out. Why does he do it? I don't know. He says something about for Jesus' glory. That's how we should be known. We should be a bunch of weirdos. All right? We shouldn't fit in. The regular culture. These guys are strange. You go to church and they love on you. What is that? They do stuff for other people, expecting nothing in return. Who does that? Well, Jesus did that for me. We wouldn't do that for other people. Zealous for good works. Our obedience stems from gratitude, beloved. 
we should be obedient to the Lord because of what he's done for us. And we should be grateful for what he's done. Let me just wrap it up by talking a little bit about some obstacles. They're probably going to sound familiar to you. Timidity. You're timid. I'm a timid individual. If I see something, it's like, I should have. Oh, no, 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 it's kind of weird. That's not really me. Fear. By the way, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Don't be timid. Fear. Romans 8.15, it's a lack of trust in God. We're egocentric, we're selfish. Philippians 2 says, have this mind that was also in Christ, who gave everything for you. Think of others and esteem others higher than yourself, the Bible says. Sometimes it's just not being focused on God that we don't seize opportunities. We're worried about stuff, worried about everything. Matthew 6.33 says, don't worry about all that stuff. That's what the worldly people worry about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. Worldliness, we talked about Titus. We're so caught up in the world, the things of the world, we have no time for God's work. We're embarrassed. It's embarrassing. The Lord says, if you're embarrassed of me, I'm going to be embarrassed of you. I wasn't kidding about that back door. The Lord says that. Or maybe you're just ashamed, be honest. And then read Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Got to read the scripture, got to read the word and get, get our uh, courage from there. Looked at opportunities, the Shunammite woman who sees that opportunity, obedience out of gratitude and love for God and what he's done for us. Get rid, get rid of these obstacles that we read in Titus, worldliness and selfishness and all this other stuff that don't allow us to do that. Let me wrap up by just reading one verse to you. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 18, because I know a lot of you are involved in God's work. And you might be thinking like, well, it's, not, it's, no, it's no big thing. God wants you to be faithful in what you're doing, no matter what it is. And let me share this verse that will hopefully encourage you to continue doing the Lord's work if you are involved in that. By the way, you don't need a title or anything at the church to do God's work. I'm talking about your family, your children, your siblings, your parents, your neighborhood, your school, your work. What would God have you to do for other people in his name? Listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians 15 58, it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain for the Lord. Do you believe it? Your labor is not in vain for the Lord. It is for his honor and his glory, and anything that you do in his name will have its reward. I pray that, that you would consider this, not because I said it, but uh, it's God's word. We see Paul showing his gratitude towards the Philippian church for the gift that they sent out of their need. We see this Shunammite woman who had no idea what was going to happen when she invited or persuaded this man of God to come into her house. And the story continues, beloved. As long as we're here on this earth, 
God has a plan for your life that exceeds all of your expectations. If we put ourselves in the hands of God, God will do some things with you and through you and in you that you would have never thought were possible. And that's that's how God is glorified. It's not because of you, but despite of you. It's not because of who we are, but despite of who we are, God is using us for his honor and glory. And the Lord bless you.